Well, good morning. It's great to have an opportunity to, to share God's word with you this morning. And um, man, I, I love that video with, uh, with, with Jade and her story. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a number of years since her grade 12 missions trip, but it's just, uh, it's great. And it's great how that, uh, how that came about. In fact, um, you may have, um, maybe as a parent, you've got a, a young person who's seriously considering uh, coming on our summer missions trip. Uh, it's been in your bulletin. We've announced it a few weeks, but just as a reminder, immediately after the service day, from 12.30 to 1.30, uh, we've got a little luncheon downstairs for uh, for parents, really for families. Please don't feel like you need to send one parent to the luncheon and send everybody else home in the snow. Uh, you know, So you can bring your other kids as well. But for uh, for families where your son or your daughter is thinking about, th- thinking about going on a missions trip, um, I, I get it. It's a great opportunity. Uh, for them to grow in their faith and to just be impacted, uh, you know, in such a, in such a unique way. Uh, but I also get as parents, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, like sending my kid to somewhere farther away than normal without me, with that guy. Oh, sweet Lord, you know, so I get it. Yeah. So anyway, so we've got a, we got a little luncheon. So I hope, you know, even if uh, your son or daughter's coming on a mission trip before, uh, we invite you to stay for lunch and I'd uh, love to just, just chat a little bit about this year's trip because there are some really interesting dynamics that have changed entirely from last year. I'll leave it at that because now there's a curiosity in your mind. Anyways, we're going to talk, we're get back into this series on the 10 commandments. You sound thrilled. It's great. I said in the first service, that's exactly what happens when at Vertigo, I say, hey, we're going to do a series on sexuality. Like all the teenagers are like, you know, it's just kind of, okay, here, yeah, this is, well then, are you ready? You know, we're, we're, we're back into the series. We're doing the last five of the 10 commandments. I, as I was getting ready for this, it reminded me of, I was at the bank a few weeks ago. I was just taking care of some, some financial things for my mom and dad. My mom and dad don't live in Canada anymore. Um, they moved to Florida. God bless them. So anyway, so just taking care of some financial things for them here. And um, it was right after, I was in the bank and I had Macy with me. And it was right after um, we just gotten back from, uh, from being in, in Arkansas and visiting with uh, my wife's parents. That's where she's from. And, um, and actually just on that note, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's been praying for Amber's dad uh, as he's walking through his cancer treatment at the moment. And, and so we were, you know, depositing checks and chatting about what's been going on. And, and, um, the, the bank teller said to me, he said, well, yeah, wow. You, you know, seeing Macy, you know, beside me said, you know, you, you really are the, the sandwich generation. And, uh, I was like, I don't I had no idea what that meant. I'm mean, like, I don't even go to Subway that much. Like, so I have no, like, what is that? And so, and I said to her, I said, I, 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 said, I gotta be honest, I have no idea what that means. And uh, she, she said to me, she says, oh, you guys are at the stage of your life where, you know, your attention and, and often your worry is not just it's for you, your kids, but it's also a little bit for your parents too. You're kind of in that, in that middle. It's like, oh, okay, I get that. Like, and, and I understood what she meant. And, um, you know, I've been very, very blessed um, to have some incredible parents. And, um, oh, believe me, they're not perfect uh, in in any way. Um, they're probably watching on this live stream and I'm just going to say it like they're, they're definitely not perfect. Like not even, not even remotely. Uh, however, however, um, I have been very, very blessed. They have been so supportive of me, so encouraging to me. They've been wonderful parents to me. And um, when I, so when I read a passage, like the one that we're going to get into today uh, from, from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 is honor your father and mother so that you will live a long time in the land that God, your God is giving you. Um, it is 
never really felt like a very difficult command for me to keep because uh, it's easy for me to honor them. Uh, I, I do honor them. They are easy to honor. Um, that's, that's not a challenge. But what struck me in getting ready to talk about this passage today um, is that I've got a lot of really, really close friends, very good friends of mine, um, who are in a very, like a radically different situation than I am. Um, you know, some of my friends are the adult children of alcoholics, and the phone calls that they still get um, are, you know, from an angry, they're, they're angry phone calls, it's a drunken rant, uh, or it's pleading for money, again. Uh, I've got another, I've got another friend whose parents um, really just fell apart completely during their divorce. I mean, the, the, it just took such a huge toll on both of her parents, and, um, and her whole childhood was literally just a gong show of manipulation as they just kind of fought over her and used her to try to inflict the maximum damage on the other parent. But the worst part of it is that now that she's an adult, it's like they they just barely remember she's alive. It was kind of like, well, you're not a pawn in our game anymore, so see you later. And that was it, that's it. And, um, you know, I, I know I have another very close friend of mine, a very long history of passive, aggressive, brutally manipulative behavior from her parent. Um, you know, it's one of those, every Chris, literally every Christmas has been ruined. Every single one. Every conversation ends in a guilt trip. I mean, it's toxic would be an understatement when describing that relationship. And, and with these situations, um, one of the things that I can't help but wonder is, how are, how are my friends, how are these people that I care about so much, how are they meant to read and respond to this passage of scripture? I mean, you know, honor your mother and father. It's one of the big 10. Like, you know, this, these, are the, these are the big deal commandments. You know, this isn't in the footnotes somewhere in the fine print. Be like, oh, and also try to do this. Like, it's, it's, in, it's in the 10 commandments. This is big stuff. And and I don't think I'm alone in kind of having that struggle. There are a number of commands and scripture verses that I think when we read them on the surface, they seem very, very simple until all of a sudden real life just catches up. You know, I think we all have friends who, who, who really can't read this command, it says to honor your father and your mother without cringing. You know, and they're thinking, Really? My mother and my father honored. Like, how could I possibly? You know, maybe that's even your story. Um, because as easy as this command may be for anyone who has had great parents, on, on some level, we still all have to come to agreement with what Dr. John Ballinger says. What he, he wrote this. He said, but there are too many parents who are due no honor. Pathetic parents, apathetic about their children, self-centered, cruel, irresponsible, neglectful, abusive, immature, children themselves. That's the reality. And so we have to, we, we, we read scripture and we have to come to terms like, what do we really do with a passage of scripture like this? Because it's not just this anecdotal thing. I mean, the very next thing after, honor your mother and father is like, do not murder like, it's right, this is, this is the, the big time stuff. And so we just can't kind of be like, well, you know, because you look at where it is. And as much as some of us trust the wisdom of God and, and may believe that this passage is, is there for a reason, we've still got to wrestle with this. How do we process 
such a polarizing command in the light of this kind of real life? Um, what's God getting at? And I think at the core of it, if we really peel it back, if we really kind of want to expose our hearts here, what we're really asking is, can I trust that God's commands speak to the reality of our lives today? I mean, that's the question we're really asking when we get into this. I mean, did God's commands actually speak to real life or is he just naive and unaware of the pain and the complexity that exists in the modern world we live in? What do we do with the command for universal honor towards mothers and fathers in the light of some of the brokenness that we experience? And the good news is, is I, I really do think there's a, a real answer here. Um, in, in fact, if we peel back the famili- our familiarity with this command and we look at it with fresh eyes, we're, we're actually going to find that there are some profound truths that I think reveal to us an awful lot about the character of God. So let's dig into that. And, and for starters, let's just start here. Let's commit to stop using this passage in the wrong context. Let's just start with that because... This passage, believe it or not, was not written to precocious nine-year-olds or rebellious 13-year-olds. Although it seems to be that that's most often where we tend to focus it. I mean, there is nothing more predictable predictable, than a uh, a reciting of, well, the Bible says, honor your mother and father in a tense moment in a church-going household. Like, like, come on, like that is the most predictable thing. And some of you, you're laughing because you're like, that's exactly what my dad used to say. And some of you are cringing. You're like, I said that yesterday to my kid. You know, where, but that is, tends to be where we go with this passage. Uh, the reality though, is that the command to honor your mother, your, your mother and your father is, it, it isn't that necessary when you're speaking to children who are at home living under their parents' authority, especially not in an ancient Near Eastern culture, which is the culture that this command was received in. In in that world, and when this was originally said, when this was originally written, until the day of adulthood, children were more or less the property of their parents, Um, And without their fathers and mothers, children would be destitute and starving. And so parents had complete authority over their children, legally and socially. And some of you are probably just like, man, get us back some of that. Be like, you don't wash the car, you're going to the salt mine, I'll sell you. Like, you know, like that's, that's what it was. Like, that's what the culture was. And so you didn't really need to have this commandment to say to those 13 year olds, you better honor your mother and father. You're darn right they better. He can sell you. Like literally, not figuratively. You know, it's like, like this, is, this was the culture. So this command, it's not written to kids. And I mean, it's obvious by the context. The next thing is don't murder and don't commit adultery. We don't have a whole lot of eight-year-olds who's like, it's a good thing I, Moses told me that because I was gonna do some killing. You know, like, like it's just, that's not the context of, of where this whole passage comes from. Yet, ironically, when this passage is quoted, it is usually just in the context of, don't take that tone with me, young lady. You know what the scriptures say? That's usually when it comes out, right? Yeah. 
You know, so to, so to tell a child in the ancient Near East that they really ought to honor their mother and father so that they will live a long time in the land your, your God is giving you, it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, they're not even old enough to become inheritors of the land. Uh, and like I said, they just don't have a choice but to honor their mother and father. And so, you know, if we really want to get what this is about, we need to take a step back and we need to actually say, to whom was this command written? And why would it be put into the Ten Commandments? Why would it be put in what they call the Decalogue, you know, in memoriam forever? Wow, it's there. It was written to adults. Uh, it's written to adults with aging parents. It was written to adults whose parents were either arthritic and near crippled after a lifetime of slavery or adults whose parents maybe didn't even make it with them out of Egypt. This was written to Adults who perhaps their parents had told them, because this is Exodus, right? They, perhaps this is written to adults whose parents had said to them, don't you be listening to this, this Moses. It's crazy ideas. I mean, you better get your head down and get to work. No good is going to come from this fight for our freedom. It's written to those adults. I mean, in either case, it's written to adults who are no longer under the authority of their parents, it's written to adults who pay their own bills, have their own houses, have their own children. And to this demographic, God gives Moses a command to speak over them that is not going to pass away at the end of their generation. He says, honor your father and mother so that you will live a long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. You see, these adults are, it's Exodus, right? They've left Egypt. These adults are on their way to take possession of the land that God has given them, to start fresh, to build a new nation, a new culture, a new society, a new way of life. And these laws that they're getting from God in this part of the Bible will form the basis of their new society. So from building codes to basic sanitation practices, it's all there in the law. And the Old Testament is saying, hey, you're starting a new society. This is how you're going to do it. And before they even get into the land, they're told this. They're told, honor your father and mother so that you will live a long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. They're told, listen, this is what kind of people you're going to be. And in this command, God demonstrates something that you can find surprising, that God cares deeply about the function of society and how it works and whether it is functional. Because again, they're, they're on the edge here. They're standing on the cusp. I mean, they, they've, they've left Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're getting their lot. They haven't entered the land yet. And so, you know, we know what's coming. In the land rush, that's coming. In the business dealings of the future, as the opportunity for prosperity comes, as children grow up, as parents grow up, as daughters become mothers and as mothers become widows, God is setting a precedent that's going to guide them into what kinds of people they will be. And they will be people who honor their fathers and honor their mothers. In other words, don't just forget about them and leave them behind as you go to seek your fortune in the land that you're about to get. Don't you do that. Don't you just dismiss them and speak down to them as their bodies age. And don't you forget about them in their sunset years. You need to honor them. That's the kind of people you're going to be. 
And at the core of this command is a very simple reality, one that's just as true today as it has always been, which is that functional families are key to prosperous land. And that is just, that is a a universal. Functional families are a key to prosperous land and God cares about the functioning of society. If you don't honor your mother and father, your society will turn to chaos. And actually even worse than that, it will turn into a society where absolutely no one prospers because honor is the environment in which people everywhere have the capacity to prosper. If there's no culture of honor, working hard your whole life means little because as soon as you can no longer produce anything, well, you're gonna lose everything because someone is gonna take it all from you and as soon as you no longer have power, it's done, it's over. When you understand who the original hearers of this command are, is as well, you know, who their parents were, it becomes even more poignant because their parents were slaves. And it wasn't just that their parents were slaves, like their parents' parents were slaves. And their parents' parents' parents were slaves, like multi-generation of slavery. And all of a sudden, and, in, and if they made it out of Egypt, they were gonna be dependent on their adult children. I mean, how tempting it was going to be for this group of people to completely dismiss their fathers and mothers and grandparents and, grand, and uh, you know, grandfathers and grandmothers. Because you, you know how this would go. It's like, you know, they've been slaves and their parents were slaves and their parents were slaves. And they would say, well, you know, we're building a new country. Great, let's get started. And you know what? Don't pay attention to that old guy over there. He was a slave his whole life. It's all he knows. What does he know about governance? What does he know about building a city? He knows nothing. All he knows is a whip on his back and brick making. He was a slave. What is he going to tell? It would be so easy for them to completely disregard their forefathers. And it would also be so difficult to forget their shortcomings. If you can imagine establishing a free city, a prosperous city, but you'll always have the words of your mother or your grandmother in your head who back in Egypt told you, stop this foolishness. We may be slaves, but at least we're fed. Don't you dare get caught up with this Moses business. And there you are past it and you're living this free life. But you're always gonna have those words behind you. See, we know something of this judging of the past in our our current progressive culture. You know, we live in a culture that loves to judge historical figures publicly and privately by the standards of our day instead of the standards of the day that they lived. You know, we would say things like, well, let's remove these, this statue to that prime minister. Let's get rid of the, you know, the plaque to this judge. Sure, they may have framed our democracy 150 years ago, but they were racists. So we need to wipe history clean of their contributions. And I mean, I I hate to say this, but I'm pretty sure that like 95% of all people 150 years ago were racists. I'm pretty sure. And and not to mention sexist. I'm pretty sure that 95% of people 50 years ago were sexist. Like, and, and the challenge is this, it's not because they were bad people, but because if you're living in a culture that nobody has come along and actually said to you, you know, this right here, that might be a problem. How would you even know? I mean, literally, I mean, if you can just imagine someone sitting down 150 years ago with Sir John A. MacDonald saying, now, listen, Johnny Mac, I, uh, this is, 
It's gonna surprise you a little bit, but I'm just, just gonna tell you, a hundred some odd years from now, um, everyone's gonna realize that um, skin color doesn't actually matter. I know, you're shocked, I know. And also, if, brace yourself. Um, we're also gonna realize that women are not inferior to men. We're gonna let them vote. Like, that would be the most, like, you just, like, in that time in history, that's unthinkable, and people just be like, what? But, but here's the problem, is that when we judge them harshly because of the standards of today, there's, a, there's an irony in that. Because in so many ways, the only reason we are having this conversation today is because we are living in the world that they created. Because we are standing on their shoulders, because literally, because they created a world that was prosperous enough that people were able to take a step back from the grindstone a little bit and philosophize a little bit and say, well, you know, we're prosperous enough that I can do some thinking. And now that I'm doing some thinking, I'm just looking at it and saying, you know, guys, I think institutionalized racism is wrong. We should change that. And why are we having that conversation? Because we're living in a society that was prosperous because of some things some other people did. Now, here's the thing. It's not that they were perfect and it's not that your parents were perfect, but a culture of honor is important because otherwise all it does is it leaves us each just waiting for the day when our children and our grandchildren will turn on us and judge us most severely, perhaps even long after we have any ability to defend ourselves by a set of standards that we don't even know exist yet. So, in commanding that we honor our mothers and fathers, God announces that he actually expects graciousness from his people in their attitudes and their actions towards their forebears. He expects graciousness. Now, this can be hard because in many cases, our forebears have made enormous mistakes, huge mistakes. But God would say to that, hey, listen, they may not have gotten it right, but they did get you here. So none of this is to say that we ignore the flaws. And, and whether that's your own parents or historical figures, listen, this is not to say, we don't ignore the flaws. We don't whitewash things that were wrong. We don't say, well, we'll just look the other way. And of course we don't. But God says, listen, there's room in this story for imperfect people. And see, that is, you know, it, we live in a culture of outrage. And so in this, in this current climate of outrage, the way it works is that our society has come up with, well, you know, here's the cardinal sins. If you do this, you're out. And, and we see this on the news about, you know, every week, you know, we hear about, you know, well, somebody dug up, you know, a high school yearbook from this person and look at what they said and look at what they did. And so we don't do the thing where we say, well, you know, that was... 43 years ago, I wonder if they're still, I wonder if they're still racist. I wonder if they're still, if, if, if you know, if they, if they still have these, these issues. No, no, no. Instead, what we kind of do is say, oh, oh, that's it. There's no longer room for them in the story. And we just kind of cross people off the list. But what's interesting is that that's, actually not the way that God works at all. God says, hey, there's room for imperfect people in the story. And they may have gotten it wrong. In fact, they may have even made it a total mess. God's not asking us to pretend that things that were wrong are not wrong. 
But he is saying, listen, they, they did all that, yeah. But now you're the one in authority. And especially in the family context, I mean, now you're the one in authority. I mean, you're the one making the decisions. And so this command to honor your mother and father is not really about your mother and father and how they've lived. This is about what kind of person you will be. And the question is, are you going to create a culture of graciousness or are you going to create a culture of judgment? One in which, where, do you create a culture where, well, if you screwed up, you're out. Or are you creating a culture of graciousness and honor? Because a culture of honor does not mean that there's no judgment and accountability. It just means that now, because we've created a culture of honor, we've created a culture where justice can exist. And the thing is that, we, if we, when we can look into the face of someone who has wronged us, who has robbed us, who has introduced enormous pain in our lives, when we can look into their face and we can choose to show them honor, not because they deserve it, but simply because they are made in the image of God, then and only then are we participating in the order of life that God has intended. And in the kingdom of this world, when you start talking about justice, well, justice is served in, in this world when a thief goes to jail. Justice is served in this world when a murderer winds up on death row. But in the kingdom of God, justice is served when a thief becomes a generous person. In the kingdom of God, justice is served when a murderer becomes a healer. You see, God's justice is always thoroughly redemptive. It goes so much further than our own definition of justice. And honor is the atmosphere that makes redemption possible. So think of this for a second. The Bible tells us that even in the depths of our sins, while we were at our worst, Christ loved us and died for us. God honored us by putting on human skin and coming to live amongst us, not because we deserved it, but precisely because we did not. And so we were honored by God when we least deserved it. And that point of honor was actually the beginning of our undoing. Like how could we stand to keep going on in sin in the face of the one who honors us and loves us so deeply? Honor actually transforms us and honor transforms a society. Honor transforms our culture. So if you're looking for a solution to the culture of outrage that is our current, well, I mean, that's, that's everywhere, isn't it? If you want a solution to that, well, begin to honor. See what happens. Now, lastly, this passage speaks to the issue of value. And just like honor in the kingdom of God, value is calculated radically different than it is in the world. In God's kingdom, the value of a person is intrinsic. It is simply there because they are made in the image of God. That's how it is. But we live in a world where value is tied to productivity. So to be young and able-bodied and to be able to build great things or to be at the prime of your life and successful and to be at your maximum earning potential and to be starting a family, to literally be procreating and bringing new life into the world, to be at the pinnacle of your career, an expert second to none. It is in these roles that society looks at you and says, you are really important. Like you have value, you matter. Like you matter so much. Like you can make money and you can make life and you can make things. Like you are pretty, you are, like you're really important. That's the way our society works. 
But the call of God to honor our mothers and fathers takes a totally different approach. See, remember that because this, this call is given to adult children who are not under the authority of their, mother, their, their mothers and their fathers anymore, it means that in the days after productivity and usefulness have come to an end, they are not reducing people to shame and dishonor. They're not saying, well, sorry, dad, you know, you can't, you can't do this work anymore, so you don't matter. They're not saying, sorry, mom, see you walking with a cane these days, and it's a little embarrassing. You just stay like, it doesn't do that. It, it, it actually completely flips it on its head, and it says that your value is intrinsic as a person that is not tied to your ability to produce in society. That's, remember, that God is giving this law to them to say this is the kinds of people that you'll be. So yeah, we may honor our mothers and fathers with something as simple as helping out with a chore that they can no longer do or by refusing to shame them for the speed of their walk because they do use a cane. But by honoring their personhood, we are actually honoring God. And you see, there's no honor of God without the honor of those who are made in God's image. And so in a lot of these 10 commandments, what you're gonna find is that what God's actually doing is he is insisting that the most vulnerable people in our society are afforded special protection and special honor. You know, what's interesting in some of the competing codes of law in the ancient Near Eastern world they didn't always have, like, for example, the next commandment in, in this, you know, do not murder. Well, you see, do you know, in, in other ancient Near Eastern cultures, they had that rule, but there were strings attached. Don't murder. But if you're in the upper class and you murder a slave, you should pay a fine. And if you're in the middle class and you murder a, you murder a slave, well, you'll have to, you know, pay a bigger fine. If you're a slave and murder a slave, we'll murder you. And if you're a slave and you murder someone in the upper class, we'll kill you and your whole family. Like, like so it was just very, and so all of a sudden you realize that the law that's coming out from scripture, what God's giving his people is he's saying, no, no, no. So we, we don't, the people who are most vulnerable in society are actually afforded honor and protection. So honor your mother and your father. And so, well, looking at this historically is interesting and can certainly shed some light in, in what's going on here. Um, the, the big question is still, what do we do with this practically? And I so appreciate the way that, that Ballinger concluded his, his article that I quoted for, from earlier uh, in the review and expositor. He said, this biblical command is not about building an addition onto your house and inviting your parents to move into with you, but it is about making room for parents in your lives. That's what it looks like to honor our mothers and our fathers, to make room for them, to honor their personhood. And don't think for a second that God's great concern for societies and how they function and what cultural values become embedded in people's lives, you know, are somehow depersonalized because they're not. they're not. They're not all. God cares about how societies function because when they are dysfunctional, it is the elderly and the infant, it is the poor and the outcast that suffer. 
And remember, God is the God. He says, my ear is turned to the cry of the widow. My ear is turned to the cry of the child because these are the people in society with no power. And so when God is, is saying this, he's speaking to those with power. He's speaking to those who are gonna make all the decisions. He's speaking to those saying, listen, you're the productive ones. You've actually got, like you're gonna be, have the most say. And he says, the responsibility here is yours. You must make sure that in the kingdom that I'm building, that mothers and fathers are honored. And like the rest of the commands, obedience is only gonna come at the end of a great personal struggle. I mean, you know, if you thought cleansing your heart of idols so that you could be faithful to the command, you shall have no other gods before me. If you thought that was tough, you know, doing that personal inventory and kind of saying like, wow, I, I really do worship this thing. Like that's wrong. Oh man. I, like if you thought that was challenging, you didn't see nothing yet. Because the struggle that will have, that goes on before you can be obedient to this, I mean, it is like, it's big stuff. Because for many of you in this room, obedience to this command begins with choosing forgiveness for a kind of pain that there are just no words for. For a kind of heartache that is undeserving of forgiveness. We get that parents can make or break our lives. And, and even though you understand that honoring your parents is, is about you and not about them, it doesn't change the fact that wounds take time to heal. And forgiving our parents for their shortcomings can be excruciatingly difficult. So can, can we get really, really real for a second? That's, that's code for, I'm, here's the warning. This is, this is where it's gonna get really painful, actually. This is the sting. If it messes with you really hard, just talk to Pastor Dallas. He's preaching next week. I'm sure he'll sort it out, but... Yeah, listen, here's, here's, the, here's the truth. If you don't forgive your parents, you will not heal. If you do not heal, you will pass your wounds along to your children. If you pass your wounds along to your children, you are sentencing them to stand exactly where you stand in 40 years with a decision to make about whether they will forgive you and honor you and thus live a free life or whether they will harbor resentment and shame and perpetuate that cycle. That's, that's it. See, this command that God gives us to honor our mothers and our fathers is about God transforming our lives and transforming our families and transforming our societies. And, and this idea that I can't honor someone who is imperfect, I can't show honor to these people, that, that, that's not biblical. It's not at all. I mean, what, what this is about, this is about creating a society where seniors age with dignity and care, not because they are owed as such, but simply because it reflects God's heart. And I'll tell you what, if you had great parents, if you had parents that used to make, man, you know, I mean, they weren't perfect, but boy, my parents were great. Let's just be really real. Listen, our lives are often really, really busy, a little too busy. And boy, I know that I do not give my mom a call one-tenth as much as I ought to. Like, I, I, listen, I, it's, it is just, that is, that is life at this stage. And I just realized like, man, like what? I don't, man, I, I didn't even call mom. Like, 
question is, do we honor our mothers and fathers? Will we make room for them in our lives? When they're retired and have all the time in the world and you're still feeling the pressures of work and driving your kids to the 80 billion extracurriculars they signed up for, most of which without asking. <laughs> you're, you're doing what? We have to be there at 4.30 every week. Wow, awesome. But you know, in the midst of that life, are we faithful to be obedient to scriptures? You know, honor your mother and father. Listen, for some of you, it is gonna be about putting an addition on your house or cleaning out the guest room and saying, hey, you know what, dad, you can come and live with us now. Maybe that will be, but for all of us, it's about making room in our lives for our mothers and for our fathers. Because the Bible says, if you do this, you will create a ripple for generations in your family. In doing this, you will teach your children how to honor. And then guess what will happen? When you are aged, you will be taken care of. And so will they, because this is how things are passed down. This is the way that God orders a society and it actually creates prosperity. One last application It is a word of caution. It's also kind of stingy. Just giving you a heads up. Listen, parents, the best way to teach your children to obey this command, honor your father and your mother, is not to quote it at them. I mean, and and truthfully, like, if if that's the only place that's coming, I mean, it's, you're kind of missing it. The best way to teach them this is to model it because ultimately your kids are gonna treat you the way you treat your parents. And so, listen, if you're having to yell at your kids, the scriptures say honor your mother and father, you're gonna get smited by God. Like if that's where things are going in your house. I mean, there's a lot of useful scriptures, by the way. For, I mean, just as an aside, like, you know, being a youth pastor, sometimes, you know, some kids in our youth group think that they're like hilarious. and like, hey, you don't have hair. <laughs> and I just be like, yeah, that's right. And you know, there's a story in the Bible about these kids that mocked this prophet for not having hair and God sent bears out of the woods to eat them. <laughs> and we're going on a hike next week. You're gonna die. <laughs> so like, listen, the Bible's got all kinds of useful things in it this way, right? But, but the point is, is we gotta stop using them out of context. But seriously, you'll all die if you make fun of me. So anyways, um, bears devouring your life. It's awesome. Um, the thing is, is that instead of, instead of quoting the scripture at your kids, listen, just recognize you are already in authority over your child. So take this season of your life and set a far more significant priority. Be the parent that gives them the least amount of baggage you possibly can for their future. And what I mean by that is I am so hoping to be a dad that makes it as easy as possible for my kids to honor as they get older. That I wanna love them and teach them so carefully so that instead of watching them work through deep forgiveness issues to try to get over the damage that I've caused in their lives, instead, I can watch them struggle to find time in their busy calendars in their 30s for their dear old dad. That's, that, that would be the struggle I'd rather see them have. Not the struggle to how am I going to forgive that awful man. 
See, I know that I won't be perfect. I mean, every child is gonna have something that they need to reconcile and forgive their parent for. But if instead of using this passage of scripture to try and instill your children's holy obedience to you, I would just challenge you to use it to inspire yourself towards the best parenting you possibly can. Make it easy for your children to honor you as they grow old. Because listen, we live in a very broken society. It's a mess. I mean, sometimes I just like turn off the news and I'm like, that's gross. I mean, it's, and I thought about this. I'm like, I don't want to be sensationalizing anything, but I don't think it is oversimplistic. I don't think it's naive to say that a big part of the breakdown of our society is the complete breakdown of honoring in our culture. I mean, if there was ever an age where we just disregard the plank in our own eye while we go after the sawdust in someone else's eye, that is our society right now. Like in every way. But listen, if we could get this, like, like not, think about this not just individually. If in a room like this, in a church like ours, if we corporately, if we could get this, if we could tap into God's wisdom here, if we could be obedient to this command, we could actually change that. We could create, if we all created cultures of honor in our families, because it's not about them, it's about us, it's about what we choose. If we created those cultures, then we would actually transform our society. This is not a lost cause because it's literally a choice that we all get to make. And I just believe that when we do this together, if we would actually choose to create a culture of honor, to honor our mothers and our fathers, we would actually give our society, our culture, a taste of the goodness of God that they've never had before. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the richness of your word. And God, we just recognize as we look at this command, like all of the commands you give us, that obedience is so difficult. Lord, for some of us, the pain that exists in our lives is, is huge. And to even speak of forgiving our parents in order to heal feels like climbing a mountain that we'll never get over. But Father, we would just come before you. And Lord, even as it says in Ezekiel, that you would take our hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, that you would put your spirit in us and it's only your spirit in us that that will make us able to obey your commands. We just open our lives up and we'll say, Father, we need who we need you. Holy Spirit, we can't obey this without your help because it's too hard and we're not good enough to do it. But God, I pray that you would come into each of our lives and give us the ability to walk in alignment with the life that you've called us for. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus.